the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two this open lines Friday. Anything on your mind, anything you want to discuss, that's what we're here for. 602-508-0960-602-508960. What's on your pin today, David Dahl? What political pin do you have on? We'll see what you know about this yeah. fella. Yeah, I can't even see it. Do you have So one? it's a blue arrow pointing yeah. to the left with a red slash through it. Yeah. It says Ashbrook. Says Ashbrook. Uh, no left turns. We, we, John Ashbrook, who I confused with Phil Crane the other day. That's right. That's why I'm wearing it. Nicely done. So, Congressman from Ohio, mm-hmm. who tried to run for president against Nixon in '72 in the primaries because he thought Nixon was too soft on communism. That's right. Also, yeah, he didn't get very far, did he? Oh no, I don't even think he he won a single primary. Yeah, but yeah. he did get the Ashbrook Center which is a great think tank in Ashland, Ohio, <laughs> to continue with the, uh, with the ash uh, preface, um, with the ash predicate. And uh, it's been run by some great people. Uh, it's been run for, by some really great people. Peter Schramm uh, was an old and dear friend who ran it for many years. Um, he was born in Hungary and wrote a great essay Available probably in the Claremont Review of Books. He was a, he was one of the founders of the Claremont Institute. Wrote a great essay about remembering uh, his memory of asking his dad when they were moving from Hungary to America. He said his dad's answer was, "We were born in America, just not the country." It's a nice line, right? It's a nice line. By the way, speaking of, I'll say something maybe about this a little more a little later. But there's a lot of press uh, here and a lot of American attention here about uh, the coronation of Charles, which I guess is taking place tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, David? There's a lot of it. And um, it's, it's, it's fine to be respectful of your allies. And it's fine to be fascinated, obviously, with, um, with, with a different way of doing things, especially when it is in an allied country we, we have such a special relationship with. But I sometimes, you'll forgive me for getting just a little concerned that we don't turn some of this admiration into um, into a form of um, admiration into a form of something stronger. And, and admiration itself is probably too strong for what it should be. It should be of interest to us. Admiration is, in fact, as I think it through and talk it through, is too strong a word for what it should be. We should not admire this. We should have respect for what they do with it civilly. We should not forget we are a country that doesn't do leadership and ruling by blood. We fought a revolution against that very thing, that very thing we seem to be admiring a little bit too much around here. We were the first nation in the world to proclaim our independence based not on 
two things, which every other nation in the world hither to 1776 did. What were those two things? Theology, or theocracy, I really should say, and blood, the reign of kings. We said no to that here. And in saying no, as Harry Jaffa would point out, we were the first nation in the world to declare our independence, not because of any particular qualities or merits of our own, but because rights, because of rights, which we shared with all men everywhere. We declared the government of the people, by the people, for the people, as the ground of something absolutely unprecedented in history, laying an equally unprecedented claim to the character of what would be the best regime. The Declaration of Independence was the first case in history in which a single people made a national revolution on the assumption that its particular principles were simultaneously the universal principles which civilized men everywhere would recognize. But it was on principles, not on theocracy and not on the reign of kings, not on blood. We should remember that as we watch and respect what our ally is doing. But let's stop with this over-conscientious and supercilious admiration, shall we? Uh, A political point um, that's kind of interesting and worth noting and laying a marker down on. For whatever reason, a bunch of TV commentators are pointing out today that Marianne Williamson, the candidate declared for the presidency of the United States and the Democratic Party is polling about 9%. When you think about her polling about 9% and Robert Kennedy Jr. polling at about 20%, you have nearly a third of the Democratic Party already, third of the Democratic Party's likely voters in a presidential election already saying they don't want Joe Biden, they want someone other than Joe Biden. They're not necessarily saying they want someone more conservative or more liberal. It's hard to figure out if Robert Kennedy is more conservative or more liberal. It would depend on the issue, perhaps. Marianne Williamson, hard to say, more conservative or more liberal. But when you have the two of them polling at nearly a third of the Democratic Party base, there's a question to be asked. And the question is this. Do you think they or one of the two of them is going to get more support as the campaign goes on or less? And that's the marker I want to lay down because I think the answer is more. I think the answer is more. And the reason I think the answer is more is I don't think Joe Biden's going to be doing much that will increase his numbers and the love and affinity for him. Every day gets worse for him. Every day he tries to do something gets worse for him. This is why he doesn't want to debate. This is why he hasn't had a press conference in months. This is why the only time he took a question from the press, it was pre-printed for him and pre-arranged for him from the L.A. Times. There, there's, as news goes, nothing around the horizon that's going to look very good for him particularly as the scandals become greater. I shouldn't say the scandals become greater. The scandals have taken place as the scandals become more known. As the scandals become more known, whether it has to do with the whistleblower that uh, Chuck Crassley 
and James Comer are on to the case of, whether it has to do with Hunter Biden, 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 because there's about, it's hard to keep track, but at least four major scandals that have been unfolding in the media's eyes, finally, and at long last, over the last four weeks, or whether it has to do with something else. Things are not going to be getting better much for Joe Biden, best I can tell. I'm guessing, then, that basic third of the Democratic Party that today is saying we want someone else is going to grow. Just a marker and a prediction. Rob's in surprise. Hello, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Um, first of all, great job on your uh, college commencement. Thank you, sir. It got, got me to thinking about my own commencement speech. Do you remember who gave it? Yeah, it was Walter Mondale. He was a vice president uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, under Jimmy Carter. Sure. And, and uh, I may have mentioned this before. He This was the first year that uh, Jimmy Carter was president and the first Naval Academy graduate to become a president. Yeah. And so for his first year as president, he sends his vice president to the Naval Academy hmm. to give a commencement speech. Yeah, what a lot. Um, <laughs> which, which, yeah, it did seem a little odd to us. Um, I honestly, and I was researching, I was trying to find any record of any, you know, any of his speeches or any of that speech from 1977. But unfortunately, I couldn't really find anything. Oh, oh, oh there's a famous one. Well, uh, the 77 Naval Academy speech from Walter Mondale, I can't find online. Oh, that. Okay, I thought you meant uh, a a Jimmy Carter commencement address. Oh, yeah, I think he actually showed up the following year. Oh, okay, no, well, he gave gave the commencement address. Jimmy Carter himself gave a famous commencement address that year at Notre Dame. Oh, at Notre Dame. Yeah, and this is where he said Americans have to get over their, in his words, inordinate fear of communism. I think, from what I, uh, I I did catch a clip from the New York Times uh, that talked mostly about Jimmy Carter, but there was an excerpt from uh, Walter Mondale's speech where uh, at our graduation or commencement. All right, let me uh, let me take a quick break and we'll come right back. Okay, Rob. Okay. All right, be, 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 uh, bear with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open lines Friday, 602-5089-60. Rob, thank you uh, for waiting. You graduated the Naval Academy in 1977, doing um, your uh, great duty to help us uh, fight in the uh, long twilight struggle against communism. That same year, your president, Commander-in-Chief, Jimmy Carter, was at Notre Dame giving a commencement address where he said, quote, we are now free of the inordinate fear of communism, which once led us to embrace any dictator who joined us in that fear. I'm glad that's being changed. He went on, for too many years, we've been willing to adopt the flawed and erroneous principles and tactics of our adversaries, something abandoning, sometimes abandoning our own values for theirs. How do you like that, Rob? That second line doesn't get enough attention, him comparing our tactics to our enemies. Well, yeah, and in fact, the, the one blurb I read in the New York Times from, I don't know, June 9th or so, 1977, uh, had a blurb that Walter Mondale had used, was kind of similar to that, where, you know, he, he said something about, you know, critics believe that we need to leave democracy and, and free societies at home when we're dealing with foreign countries, 
And he was talking instead about how, you know, we need to spread. And, of course, they always use the term democracy um, abroad. Uh, but that was about the only thing that had been mentioned. Um, and, again, I, I honestly don't remember anything else that uh, went on that day. <laughs> mostly, mostly the euphoria of just being able to... Uh, break free from four years of prison, yes, essentially, <laughs> of course. When, when it was more prison-like than it is now. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, and Did you and, read the Wall Street th- Journal today? No, I didn't. Yeah, I, um, okay. I know that, um, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh, they're, they're, the Naval Academy is going to have a female yeah, uh, that's, superintendent and yeah. in the running for the next chief of naval operations. The current vice chief of naval operations, who is a uh, black female four-star, is apparently going to be the front runner to be the chief of naval operations. And again, uh, great, I guess, but I worry too about what this signals to our adversaries that you know we're um, we're putting people in charge based on having you know, spotless fitness reports and punching all the right tickets, but are they warriors? Are they uh, are they the kind of people that are going to be inspirational you, leaders? You know who Tommy Tuberville is? You know who Tommy Tuberville is? I know the name. Yeah, he's now a, he's now a U.S. senator from Alabama. He has a piece in the Wall Street Journal about um, your beloved Navy. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the the uh, the uh, cross-dressing uh, guy that. Uh, oh, well, it was a trans guy that was uh, being used. For yeah. Last l- last month, the Navy posted a yeah. video of uh, Lieutenant JG, what junior grade uh, Audrey Newtson, a legal assistant officer who describes herself as non-binary, speaking about right. her deployment aboard the aircraft carrier carrier USS Gerald Ford. Lieutenant Newtson boasted that the highlight. Of her first deployment, also the 13 billion vessels first deployment, was reading a poem to the entire ship during an LGBTQ spoken word night. Not surprisingly, (laughs) the video went viral along the same lines. This week, it was reported the Navy tapped another self-described non-binary sailor to become the Navy's first digital ambassador. Uh, Tuberville writes, as I told the Navy's top officer, Admiral Michael Gilday... I respect everyone who serves this country. My issue isn't a sailor's sexual orientation or gender. My concern is that our new national obsession with sexuality is focused on self rather than purpose, ability, or service. I spent 40 years recruiting young men to play football. What the Navy is doing isn't a very good recruiting strategy. Um, That is what our U.S. Navy is doing while the Chinese military is in what you would call a surge. They already have the largest Navy in the world, and it's getting larger. You think they're doing a spoken word non-binary night on behalf of LGBTQ? I don't. I seriously, no, I don't either. They also had a thing at the Naval Academy where uh, it was uh, wear jeans today, and apparently to recognize somebody somewhere who had gotten sexually harassed female for wearing tight jeans. So in solidarity with whoever this was, wherever this was, uh, the Naval Academy had a uh, wear, wear jeans day, which, of course, 
has nothing to do with combat readiness, has nothing to do with uh, preparing uh, academically for any of the stuff you're going to learn as a naval officer, but it's, again, all, you know, solidarity with whatever the popular cause is. Um, and that's pretty ridiculous. But the real reason I was calling had to do with um, one of the problems I think we have when we talk about, you know, fighting back against the left, we, we kind of have to go back again to the sort of beginning of progressivism where uh, under Woodrow Wilson and continued really under um, FDR that they weren't thinking so much in terms of separation of powers. Uh, they they kind of believed that, you know, government was supposed to be some sort of an organic thing that's supposed to evolve and develop and meet the needs of the environment and, and the country. Um, and they wanted to divide uh, instead of having, you know, the uh, the three branches, they wanted to have uh, basically a political branch and administrative branch, which became, of course, the administrative state, which I think we're fighting with all the time today. And I think that's one of the things that that looks the same when you think of guys like Fauci and when you think of guys that are, you know, spokespeople, because the, the administrators... The political class was were looking towards the administrators to execute whatever it was the political class wanted to have done. So uh, what had happened was they the, the progressive administrator they had to be an expert in whatever they were you know whether it was roads or transportation or medicine or anything else they had to be quote unquote independent and of course. The most important thing is they had to also be progressive. Okay, so this this kind of goes into the New Deal and the rise of the administrative state. And these people sincerely believe this. And I think we're sort of seeing the end result of what this is. And I think of Nancy Pelosi saying, you know, we had to pass the bill in order to understand what's in it. I think what she was really saying when you think about it was, she wanted to pass it along to the administrative experts, uh, to find whoever they were. Well, I think it was partly that, and I think it was partly they know the ends, um, the means we can worry about later. They don't care about the means. They don't care about the democratic processes. They don't care about the promises to give everyone a chance to read the bill in whatever time frame they usually promise they'll give to let us read the bill and legislation. That's part of the progressive expertise, getting to the end by whatever means possible, if I can quote Malcolm X, not a very far distant relative to the progressive cause in America either, Rob. Thank you, sir, and thank you for your service. few pieces of major news I made reference to earlier. The World Health Organization is uh, proclaiming the end of the COVID pandemic. This on the same day that CDC Director Rochelle Walensky has announced her resignation. And as I said earlier, before you um, leap too high for joy over that, remember not uh, to allow anyone to remove the um, carpet beneath you because it can get worse, and it usually does get worse, um, especially with this administration. Uh, Rochelle Walensky was a, a uniquely horrible 
director of the CDC. She was not good at communicating. She was famous for having to retract and restate and and clarify things she had stated. Uh, I'll never forget um, my favorite, I think. Well, I don't know what my list of the greatest hits or worst hits would be with her. Um, this is a um, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated might be one of them. There are no adverse ref- uh, effects from the vaccine might be another. Uh, perhaps when she was speaking about the need for schools to reopen as rapidly as possible with the CDC backdrop behind her uh, after getting torched by Randy Weingarten. Uh, She said she was speaking in her personal capacity, her personal capacity with the backdrop of the CDC behind her, of course, uh, when she said that if you get vaccinated, you will uh, not obtain the you will not uh, you will not get uh, you will not get sick from covid. Um, These people, (laughs) these people, uh, Bush lied, people died. How many Lies, I think over 30,000, the Washington Post said Trump was guilty of. Go back now, just take this little test and uh, think of a lie Donald Trump told. And think of it, that lie had as much consequence or within 100 miles of the consequence of what was said by Joe Biden and Rochelle Walensky about covid the vaccines, breakthrough infections. Within a hundred miles, nothing like it. And before you think that because the World Health Organization has pronounced from Mount Olympus that we will not have to be strangled by the lockdowns, shutdowns, and mitigation strategies over COVID, just before you enter into that um, just before you step onto that yellow brick road, please remember that there is a contingent here that does not want you to walk on that yellow brick road. Washington Post headline today, disease experts warn White House of potential for Omicron-like wave of illness. Same day that WHO said we're done with the coronavirus. Quoting from the Washington Post, the White House recently reviewed a sobering warning about the potential for the coronavirus to come roaring back with experts reaching a consensus that there's a roughly 20% chance during the next two years of an outbreak rivaling the onslaught of illness infected by the Omicron virus. That is a mouthful of an opening sentence, but focus on the um, qualifiers here. Roaring back, rivaling the onslaught, inflicted. Now, you heard 20%. There's a roughly 20% chance during the next two years of an outbreak. Okay, 20%. Get the next sentence. You ready for it? A forecast from one widely regarded scientist pegged the risk at a more alarming level, suggesting a 40% chance of an Omicron-like wave. Um, there There is an investment in this. There is an investment in us being seen as a sick society or a society always borderline on being sick. There's an investment in us being crazed and panicked. There's an investment in us being convulsed. That's how they want us. That's how they want us. Calm is the enemy 
of the revolutionary spirit and doctrine. I beg of you, stay calm, please. Those who stayed calm and didn't panic, by the way, did better than those who did. Far better. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Coming in with a song from the police. I, 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 I was at the Musical Instrument Museum recently, and uh, I had really only two complaints. They do a very fine job, but the, the two things I had to complain about, I would have to complain about if you do go there. One is um, they had one of Dizzy Gillespie's trumpets. You know, he had that bent bell, that bent uh, bell at the end of the, uh, at the end of, uh, well, that constituted his horn. They had a sign, you know, the description of it right over where the bend was. So you couldn't see how they did it. I mean, it looked, it, it, uh, it, they, they manufactured the horn that way for him specially. That's the interesting thing you wanted to see. The part you wanted to see, <laughs> they had the sign over describing what it was. What was the point of, um, what was the point of the display if the one interesting thing is being covered by the sign? The other thing is they had a, um, a little feature on, uh, on the police, the band, the police. Um, but you know what they had? It was all about, if you were going to do, Bill or David, I don't know which one of you, I, I can read your lips, Bill. If you were going to do a, 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 an exhibit on the police, who would you highlight? The obvious, right? Sting. And if not Sting, who would you highlight? Stuart Copeland. The second obvious. Who did they highlight? Andy Summers. <laughs> the guy no, <laughs> no one heard of. <laughs> this is, this is the, um, the C.S. Lewis problem of... Uh, taking the least important thing and elevating it to the level of importance. Uh, I didn't want to let the week go. May 1st was May Day. There's another side to May Day, which is a communist celebration, and that is what communism really is. I found this speech from a couple of years ago by Jordan Peterson. I just thought it was fantastic. Bear with me. I think it's worth your time. So let's do that. Okay, well, we could first start with the with the Soviets, people, even now, because it's like the 100th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, are celebrating Lenin. It's like, th- that's not good. That's like celebrating Hitler. Okay, I'm dead serious about that. It's not good. And the fact that people can dare to think that that's okay means that there's something wrong with the way that we look at history. Lenin was a monster. And if you want to know about that, you can read Solzhenitsyn's writings about Lenin. Because the communist apologists say, well, it wasn't Lenin. Lenin was a good guy. He was all motivated by love of the working class. It's like, well, his henchman was Stalin. And if your henchman is Stalin, you're not a good guy. <laughs> and, and Lenin was around during the early collectivization. And if you read what he wrote, you'll find out that he is perfectly willing to have any number of people die as long as his ideological system could be brought into being. So there's no celebrating Lenin. There's no we're cool, young, Marxist, hip revolutionaries, and he's our idol. It's like, there's none of that. Not if you know anything. Not if you're decent. Well, there was the death of the Kulaks. I told you about that. There was the Ukrainian famine. That's six million gone there. There was the rise of the Gulag state because it turned out that Russia, the Soviet Union couldn't run on the principles that it had, that it had uh, 
laid down as sacrosanct. They just didn't work, so you had to enslave everybody and run your economy as a slave state, essentially, um, and try not to kill the people in the gulags so fast that you can't suck some productive labor out of them. It was the death of tens of millions of people. We don't even know. The estimates range from 15 to 60 million. And like, we won't get too picky about the numbers because after the first 10 million, you kind of made your point. And the fact that we don't know between 15 and 60 is actually an indication of the horror of it. Because our count is off by tens of millions. And that's only within the last century. And then there was the 1956 crackdown on Hungary and the 1968 invasion of Czechoslovakia. Then there was the whole like thermonuclear holocaust thing that was going on at the same time and the fact that in 1962 and in 1984 we were seconds away from complete annihilation, right? During the Cuban Missile Crisis, the keys were in the intercontinental ballistic missile release systems and Castro, as he admitted to Jimmy Carter, in case any of you are Castro fans, which you shouldn't be, that he was perfectly willing to have Cuba annihilated if it would have meant the defeat of the United States. And then in 1984, approximately, I may have the date exactly wrong, the Russians received an indication from their early warning systems that the Americans had launched five thermonuclear missiles, and one Russian decided that it was a mistake and refused to launch the retaliation. And he just died about two weeks ago. So, you know, that was pretty close. And uh, so that was experiment number one, let's say. That, that wasn't good, that experiment. Let's put it that way. It wasn't good. It was exactly the antithesis of good. It was precisely the antithesis of good. Teen Vogue says it's good. But that wasn't all. I mean, there's the People's Republic of China. That's a different country. Like, seriously, a different country, right? Different tradition, different language. How many people died in China under Mao? No one knows. Same issue with the Soviet Union. Although Mao was a bigger monster than Stalin, and that's, that's impressive, you know, because there's Hitler, there's Stalin, and there's Mao. And of the three, Mao was probably the worst. He's still revered in China. Uh, maybe that accounts for their affinity for North Korea, which could still destroy us all, the remnants of that horrible state. Maybe 100 million people died in China during the Great Leap Forward. That's a hell of a leap forward. Well, maybe it wasn't 100 million, you know, maybe it was only 40 million. But as I said before, when you're counting in the tens of millions, your point's already made. And then there was Cambodia and the killing fields and Bulgaria and East Germany and Romania and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, that's North Korea, and Vietnam and Ethiopia, Hungary, etc., etc., etc. It was never a successful communist state. Cuba, I suppose, came closest, but it was radically... Um, the Soviets poured money into Cuba, so that doesn't really count. If you go to Teen Vogue, you find celebrations of Lenin, you find celebrations of Marx, you find celebrations of communism. If you go to the New York Times editorial page, you can get all the same things. So when I talk about 
things like Jimmy Carter's speech from 1977 and us having an inordinate fear of communism, think about what we've come to today where we don't have an inordinate fear of it. We have in far too many places an affinity for it, an affinity for it. And you have school districts, as in the Colorado Education Association, this week passing a resolution saying capitalism needs to be replaced with a focus on land, labor, and other resources. What do you think land, labor, and other resources is code for? Teacher Appreciation Week. David and I don't always agree on music. I think we agree on this one, though, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we're at daggers drawn on our music tastes. Folks, how do you think the economy is going with the bank failures and the stock market volatility and the recession on the horizon? Why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the Fed or the stock market? An investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Why refi is based here locally encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't get uh, asked to sign a thing. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. But when you do meet with the team there at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence proof firm where you can earn, as I say, an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. You listen to that body count of that which Teen Vogue and the New York Times and the Colorado Association of Education wants to revivify and re-implant here, and you wonder what's happened to this world, what's happened to this country Not what's happened to this world. This world has always had that, or at least it's had it since about 1917. But what's happened to this country? This country where the saying used to be, I'd rather be dead than red. Would now rather be red than seemingly anything else. Don't think this fight over transgenderism, whether it's the kind of stuff Riley Gaines is up against or the fight in our schools, don't think that this isn't part and parcel of that. It is exactly part and parcel of that. It is part and parcel of Marxist Maoism. Marx and wanting to end all familial social structures and overcome nature, and Mao wanting to get rid of what he called the four olds. You know what they were? The four olds wasn't what Ransom Eli Olds built wasn't about the speed wagon. The four olds were old ideas, old habits, old customs, and old culture. One of them, very specifically and deliberately, as Professor K. Ann Johnson, formerly of Amherst College, put it, was the erasure of feminine and the feminine sphere. The erasure, the erasure 
the binary distinction between the sexes. You think that's old? Boy, in the last five years, over the last five years, you'd think it's ancient. They're trying to get rid of it. Know where it comes from. Do something about it. The great Rabbi Pinchas Salush coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.